Feeling lucky? Here's hoping. Big jackpot in Lotto Max tonight. That would be a lucky day. It's the day that everybody likes to think is unlucky. So we'll do our best to fit some luck into this throughout the afternoon. We are going to speak with someone who doesn't really even want to win the Lotto Max jackpot tonight. And she's proving that she doesn't need to win the Lotto Max jackpot tonight. In our second hour, starting at about 2.20, mark this down if you're going to be somewhere else, we are due to be joined by Amanda Barker. And on July 17th, if I count this right, what's today? What's today? Oh, it's Friday the 13th. Actually, the last summer, Friday the 13th till 2021. So if you're out doing things like going to Port Dover, this is a way to get to Port Dover where it's not Friday the 13th in December. 2021, next one of these. But Amanda Barker is going to be celebrating on July 17th, which is Tuesday, one entire year without using money. Not getting any money, not spending any money, not needing any money. She's going to be in studio. You know what we need to do right now? Think about what somebody who hasn't used money, this is not one of these, hey, I'll limit myself to 20 bucks a day. She hasn't spent any money. And normally, if you're under the age of two, that's not very hard. But she's not. She's over the age of two. And she is continuing to live her life. Wonder what she looks like. I'm eager to find out. So that's at 2:20. We're going to talk some heritage topics after 1:30 because of the damage done to the Cedars. We have ACO London that would like to see some things done. So we'll get both sides of this argument for you after 1:30, and we are also going to talk lotteries in just a moment. I don't know if you've seen what happened yesterday in Nova Scotia, a lottery winner. Is not very happy. How can you not be happy? You won the lottery. No, she's not very happy at all. We'll get to that story in just a second. But our own Lenny Lambrink just happens to be in Port Dover right now where just about anybody who owns a motorbike is headed. And they are there celebrating Friday the 13th. Lenny is there too. Lenny, how is Port Dover? It is hot and it is loud. And there is leather everywhere. <laughs> now, in terms of, um, of bikers, do they know how many they're expecting to have there? Well, OPP uh, for the West Region, they say that something like 140,000 people are going to be coming through Port Dover today to check out the motorcycles, to eat some food, to enjoy the sun, to enjoy just, I guess, the, the community that exists here um, on, on this day, Friday the 13th specifically. Uh, I just spoke with one man. His name is Cliff Rose, and he told me he was thinking more like 200,000. That uh, seems a little bit optimistic to me, but, you know, I guess we'll find out once the day is through. Absolutely. Now, when you look around the streets, for anyone who hasn't been there before, you mentioned a lot of people, a lot of people wearing leather. Do you see motorbikes everywhere? Absolutely everywhere. So um, they, they on this main strip here, right in the center of uh, the community. There are bikes on either side of the road, but no traffic right in the middle. So that's where people are are walking up and down. They're also walking on the sidewalks behind the bikes, uh, kind of just checking them out, seeing what they like, seeing what they're, uh, what is parked alongside the curb here. 
Um, I must tell you, like parking was, I, I drove the station cruiser here. Um, and the closer I got into town, the more I felt like I did not belong here in a vehicle, like a car. <laughs> so I, I tried to find parking as quickly as possible. And it was kind of a hassle because this is definitely like motorcycle territory for today. Expectations of 140,000 people. Lini, thank you so much for painting the picture for us. Be safe. I'll try. Lini Lambrink in Port Dover, where there are bikes and people totaling OPP West saying 140,000 by the end of the day. If you've been to Port Dover on a non-Friday the 13th day, it's not the biggest place. It's wild to think you could put 140,000 people in there and be able to move it all. Turns Port Dover into New York City like that. But that's what's happening. And we have a lot of warm weather coming up this weekend to enjoy Friday the 13th and Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th, too. They don't get the same accolades. Somebody made a horror movie about Saturday the 14th when Friday the 13th was so big. I don't think it went that well. The character didn't catch on. I don't even remember who the character was. We'll find that out before the end of the show. There was a bit of a scruffle. Is that the best word for it? In Nova Scotia yesterday. And it brings up an interesting topic. We have a woman from Marguerite Forks, Nova Scotia. And her name is Barbara Reddick. And she is a lottery winner. She has won $1.2 million in Chase the Ace. Do we have that here? She won it, $1.2 million in Chase the Ace. So she shows up to claim her prize. And somebody else just happens to be there. Who could that be? Ex-husband? Nope. Ex-boyfriend? Mm-mm. Nephew. Why is her nephew there? Well, apparently, Barbara has written her nephew's name down on the winning ticket. And he knew that. And so he showed up to claim his share. Well, Barbara wasn't overly thrilled by that happening. And here's just a clip of Barbara Reddick being asked about her lottery winnings and the fact that her name and her nephew Tyrone's name are both on that ticket. I've taken it to court. It was my ticket. Why's that? Why? Hey. Because I bought, I bought the ticket. And now he's trying to lie and say we, I said split. I said split with the 50-50. Not with no JCAs. I'm taking him to court. I'm getting my lawyer tomorrow. Now you can print that. Barbaretic. So you didn't have no agreement at all? No, we did not. Yes, you did. No, we did not. Uh, you, you know what agreement we had? Ricky Reddick wants to buy a truck. That's what it is. You keep my name in your milk. I'll tell you right now. He's lying. I put his name on the thing I told him for good luck. Now he's lying. But I'm taking it to court. I'm serious. I'm getting the lawyer tomorrow. Whose name was on the ticket? Me and Tyrone. I put his name on the ticket for good luck. Why did you do that? Because he's like a son to me. He was. But he, you put on the name for good luck, you said? Yeah. Obviously, he was lucky then. Yeah, he was lucky. 
but not for a half a million dollars. You don't think he deserves it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> that is Barbara Reddick. Oh, they say money changes people. Oh, doesn't change people. He's like a son to me. And then she has to correct herself. He was. Until he tried to take $500,000 that she feels is her money. Barbara Reddick, $1.2 million lottery winner. And now not overly excited about the fact that even though she wrote down Tyrone, her nephew, wrote down her his name on the back of the ticket, even though that was done before the numbers were drawn, she does not want to share her winnings with Tyrone. I can't wait to see what happens. What recourse is she going to have? You wrote down the number. Yeah, but that was for good luck. Okay, well, he brought you good luck, and now you can split your winnings with him. That's what will probably have to happen in all of this. Can't wait to see what happens there. While we're on the topic of luck, if you have ever had anything happen to you in your life where you would go, wow, was I ever lucky walking along the street and you find 10 bucks or whatever it is, let's get those stories in there because we're going to offset what is typically thought of as an unlucky day with a whole lot of lucky stories by the end of the show if we can fit them in. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Give us your lucky stories. And as much as you might be lucky to have met your significant other or you might be lucky to have the job that you have, this is not what I'm thankful for. These are moments in your life when you go, was I ever lucky? Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Let's see how many we can collect. We are going to get some information just so that we all understand as to what the rules are for lottery tickets. So if you're in a lottery pool at work, are you doing it right? We're going to find that out. If you promise to share with somebody like Barbara may or may not have, and then you actually win, do you still have to share with them? We're going to get those details in just a moment. But first, let's talk to Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you? Oh, not too bad, thank you, dear. Every day is a lucky day for me. Every day I wake up and I'm breathing, that's luck. Okay? I'll take that. It was a lucky day when you took me out for coffee. I enjoyed that (laughs) very much. I was was thinking of that right now because I've got a Tim Hortons coffee right in front of me right here. Oh, well, I went to Tim Hortons, the same one that you and I went to uh, three weeks ago. And I said to my girlfriend, you're sitting in the very seat that Mike Stubbs sat in. Okay, well... uh... I, I wish I'd been there, too. We could have had another conversation. <laughs> well, anyways, dear, I would share the money. I, to me, that's what I would do. I would share the money with the nephew. And uh, I like to share everything I've got. I have... I, to me, money to me. Now, I'm no millionaire, and you know that. But money doesn't mean everything to me. I've got a roof over my head. I've got clothes in my closet. I've got food in my fridge and cupboards. I've got two birds. And I've got you and Craig to listen to every day. So I think I'm pretty blessed. 
Well, you know what? Marilyn, you've just made my Friday. Thanks so much for the call. Thank you, dear. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Richard, your thoughts on this? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Great, thanks. Well, I got lucky one particular morning, right? It was roughly about 7.15 in the morning, and I can mention this radio station because it's a radio station in the Canadian Midwest, so there's nothing wrong with it. It was 980 CKRM in Regina, and at that particular time, they had a contest, but you had to answer the phone and say, show me the money, 980 CKRM. So like I said that morning at 7.15, I was sleeping in, and all of a sudden, the phone rang, and for whatever reason, I decided to say that, and all of a sudden the gentleman said you are a winner sir but first you have to tell us who the artist of the day was and i told him who the artist of the day was it was sawyer brown he said you won again anyways right i walked away with a cool 498 dollars that's outstanding yes so that hey Maybe 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 AM nine eighty should come up with a contest like that. But anyways, having said that, Mike, as for that lady out west or out west, I got the west on the brain. As for that lady down east, right? I'm no uh, Philadelphia lawyer, but I don't think she has any legal footing in this one because after all, she put down her nephew's uh, name and she put down right his phone number. So I think that's going to be legally binding. In other words, in other words, she should walk away with her six hundred and eleven thousand dollars. He walks away with his $611,000, and who knows, maybe a few years later they can get together at a family get-together again. Have a good day, Mike. Thanks, Richard. We'll take a break. Up next, we'll get some lottery rules. What exactly are the rules about sharing and not sharing? Can you go back? Is it stampsies, keepsies? Can you do it at Triple Dog Dare? Does any of that stuff work? We'll find out. And... Please keep sending through your lucky stories. As Richard says, he picked up the phone and something compelled him to say what he said. He knew Sawyer Brown. He winds up being a winner. What is your lucky story? Not necessarily what you're thankful for, because you know what? To live where we do, we're all pretty lucky. What stroke of luck have you come across in your life? Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Next, Rui Brum will join us from Ontario Lottery and Gaming. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up in about six minutes, we will have the latest on 12 indictments being brought against Russian officers for election hacking. That came out today. This story has a lot of layers to it already, but we'll get you the latest in about six minutes from now. Let's talk lotteries. If you missed it, we heard Barbara Reddick, and I'm not going to play Barbara again. Barbara was kind of ticked off when she went to collect her winnings in a lottery, Chase the Ace. I don't even know who puts on this lottery. Chase the Ace. And she'd won $1.2 million. Now, she had her nephew's name on the ticket, and he showed up too to get his share of the winnings because his name was on the ticket. And she was not pleased with that. She wanted to keep the winnings. Well, every once in a while, we do get this situation where one person does not win a lottery. Let's say you are in a lottery pool at work. You put in your money every week, and sometimes those numbers come up. We've heard, we've seen, Freedom 649. Think about winning Lotto Max. Well, what are the rules when it comes to more than one person winning? To help us understand what is going on, Rui Brum joins us, spokesperson for OLG. Rui, how are things? Good, great. How are you? 
I'm I'm okay. I, I know my parents have always promised that if they won a lottery, they would split the winnings with us. And, you know, we've had casual conversations with other family members about, you know what, if we win, I'll, I'll pay off your mortgage if you pay off mine. But that's just kind of chitter-chatter. When we look at actual rules for two people to share in lottery winnings or two or more to share in lottery winnings, where do we start? Well, a great place to start would be at uh, the olg.ca website. There's uh, on the lottery page a section uh, entitled Learn, and if you click on that, there's this section that tells you uh, some of the tips in terms of how to participate in groups. Uh, And uh, primarily one of the things I would point out to your listeners is that really when you pick a group, you really have to pick a group captain, someone who's in charge of uh, buying the tickets, collecting the money, and keeping track of exactly who is in the group. Okay, and that group captain, they should probably be a trustworthy individual. Oh, yes, I should hope so. Um, Some of the things that we suggest that they do on their website would be to uh, keep track of uh, exactly who is participating in that group. So, uh, for example, we have a, uh, a typical kind of form that someone can download, or they can just make their, up their own form. And uh, then what they should do is uh, create a list of the different players that are participating in each draw, and then keep track of uh, who's paid uh, for that draw. And uh, essentially, make sure when they go out to buy the ticket uh, after they purchase it, to make sure that after they sign the ticket, and every player, even group players, must sign a ticket, and then if the group captain just writes, in trust, then that lets us know that when we uh, do receive the ticket for examination, that it is a group that's playing here. Okay. Now, as far as the earnings, the winnings go, I guess the winnings in in a, a group setting, are all prizes split equally among the group and, and everything works out? Well, generally, that's the way it happens. For example, um, I've, we've seen and heard, certainly anecdotally, that uh, once a, uh, a ticket, um, the jackpot, for example, six forty uh, for a lot of max tonight. In fact, it's sixty million dollars with twenty-two uh, estimated max million, one million dollar prizes. What happens is that they uh, they go and they get the number of people they want to participate or who want to participate in that uh, draw, and then they each put down the money that's appropriate. Now, sometimes uh, group captains have told us that they've done it for one draw. Other times they'll play for a number of draws, but however they decide to do it, everyone puts down whatever share they want, and then that's uh, presumably what would happen for the uh, winnings, the way they're split up. Rui Brom joining us, spokesperson with OLG. Okay, that's if things are going just fine. Rui, what if a group does not have that appropriate paperwork? What kind of complexities do we get into then? Well, you're right, it would be complex. And uh, the good thing is that we have a number of uh, uh, very uh, experienced prize claims investigators, many of them former police officers, uh, who would in- open up an investigation and try to determine exactly who is in the, uh, in the group. Uh, that's why, for example, we tell people to uh, download uh, the, the form that we provide or to make up their own. That way, the more clarity you have, the fewer questions there are at the back end. For example, there was this uh, group play uh, out of the Barry area. They had about 22 people, and um, the group captain, she took meticulous notes, and after everyone gave her the money, she would have them sign right beside their name uh, to ensure additional clarity in terms of who played for that draw. And that's the kind of thing that makes it so much easier to claim the million-dollar prize or whatever the prize might be at the end, uh, just because they have taken these uh, kind of very common-sense kind of precautions.
We always hear that you can save on whether it's taxes or what have you. Uh, maybe you can put this to rest. If more than one person wins, is that just uh, an old tale, or is there something to that? Well, no, no. Um, all pri- all um, lottery prize winnings in Ontario are tax-free. It doesn't matter if it's um, $10 or $10,000 or $10 million, for that matter. Okay, so that doesn't matter whatsoever. No. Group, single, just get a ticket, and hopefully the right numbers come up. And I would encourage your listeners to play tonight for the $60 million jackpot prize. Rui, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Take care. That is Rui Brum, spokesperson with OLG. So if you're going to be the group captain, the lesson here is keep notes. Make sure you know who's in on the draw. Somebody forgets to put in their money one week. They're not in on that ticket. They might argue they are, but that's where you've got to have those notes. Okay, and that clarifies things just a little bit. Up next, we'll deal with another bit of a cloudy situation. Heritage Properties in London. And who is responsible for looking after these Heritage Properties once they go vacant? We had an issue with the Cedars and a fire. Well, that's prompted one group to step forward and say, hey, something needs to be done here. Well, we're going to hear from both sides after Jacqueline LaBelle and News. And Jacqueline will have details on 12 indictments of Russian officers with regard to hacking and the U.S. election. That's next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Let's look back over this past week at a story. There was a fire, and unfortunately, it took down a very famous piece of history in London, if you go back to the 1800s, late 1800s, but the 1800s still, the Cedars was built and it was used as basically a boathouse or an athletic club and stayed in decent repair for a long, long time. Over the last few years, it had fallen into a little more disrepair. And now, sadly, it has burnt down and is no longer there. This is something that has concerned some people, and we want to deal with this issue right now. We're going to look at both sides. We're going to look at the city's side on this, and we'll also look at a concerned side on this. If we go looking at exactly how this has played out, the investigation is still ongoing, so that's not a side that we can dig into right now. But the idea that Perhaps something could be done to protect heritage buildings? Is that something you would like to see more of in London, Ontario? Well, ACO London Region has sent out a release, and they pointed to the fact that they had featured the Cedars in a 2017 Buildings on the Brink list of significant local heritage properties that have been vacant for a while and or whose heritage value is at increased risk. And they are hopeful at at any point that they get a little more assistance in preserving these properties. But at the same time, we have properties that simply fall into disrepair all over the place. If they don't have a heritage distinction, then they're just properties that have fallen into disrepair. Let's get both sides of this. Joining us first to talk about it is the president of ACO London Region, Jennifer Granger. Jennifer, how are things on this Friday afternoon? Very good. Thank you. Let's talk about what 
concerns you have regarding what took place at the Cedars. Where do you want to begin? Well, I guess we can begin by saying that um, at ACO London, we're obviously frustrated when we see a heritage building burned down, but we're, um, we're certainly not surprised because this is exactly what we would expect to happen to a heritage building that's sitting empty and um, abandoned and deteriorating. We've certainly seen this kind of thing happen before in London and area. We've seen it happen to Locust Mount on Talbot Street, which was sitting empty for years, and, of course, Alma College in St. Thomas also burned down after it had been sitting empty. So not terribly surprising, but it's it's annoying and, and it makes us angry. Those of us who want to preserve heritage buildings are obviously um, very disturbed by all this. If no one is using the buildings, obviously we run into a kind of a catch-22 situation in that they are, as you say, empty. Uh, they would be susceptible to things like fire. As far as solutions would go, what do you believe needs to be done? Well, there are certain things that we would like to see happen at ACO. We would be happy to try and find ways to adaptively reuse heritage buildings before they become um, derelict, before they start to deteriorate. Um, But we think that there are certain steps that the city could be making which um, would assist. We need the city to start enforcing the building standards for all heritage structures. It would be a wonderful thing if we could have city inspectors actually entering empty heritage buildings on a regular basis just to make sure that building standards are being upheld and implemented. We would also encourage the city to actually fine property owners or developers who manage to lose heritage buildings that they own, either if they burn down or um, if they're demolished illegally. Um, We would actually like to see them get a fine so that they will take the buildings that they own more seriously. And some cities actually have a heritage building protection plan. Um, this occurs in various Ontario cities in various different forms. But it would be good to implement some kind of plan in which property owners and developers have to say, look, we own this building. This is what we're going to do with it. We're going to protect it until we can um, find some way to use it and, and actually secure the structures all throughout the, the process until they're actually allowed to go ahead once they've got approval to go ahead and, and do what they're going to do at the site. We're talking with Jennifer Granger, president of ACO London Region. We're looking at the fire at the Cedars. We're looking basically, though, at a much broader topic of what to do with heritage buildings that might wind up being vacant. Now, we could look at this and say that there are other buildings in the city that do not have heritage designation that fall into disrepair, that are left vacant. Nobody pays attention to them. How do we differentiate between what needs to be done with a heritage property and just a a regular old property that winds up being vacant? 
Right, and this is this is a problem because it's obviously a question of um, subjectivity. That one person looks at a building and believes this is valuable, and another person is going to look at a building and say, "Well, not to us. We don't care." But once a city once a, a city has actually designated a building like Cedars, and it was designated under the Ontario Heritage Act, it would make sense for the city to actually um, enforce some standards on those particular buildings. So if, if something has actually been designated, then it makes sense to try and save those particular buildings from neglect or the elements or um, fires, either accidental or planned. What do you plan to do from this point on? Is this simply a, a, a hope for awareness? Is there an action plan? Well, we would like to make Londoners aware that we are losing buildings that are an important part of London's heritage. But also, um, we will actually be putting some pressure on London City Council and staff to try to enforce building standards and, and to take better care of our joint heritage that we've inherited right here in the city. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Jennifer Granger, president of ACO London Region. The Cedars burned down this week, and it was a building with a whole lot of history built in the late 1800s. And Jennifer is looking for a little more awareness and perhaps what can be done to help preserve some of the other heritage buildings that might fall into disrepair and might be at risk for something similar. Up next, we'll get another side of this. We're going to be joined by Ward 8 Councillor Paul Hubert. The Cedars basically fell into his ward in terms of carving up the map, and he'll give us kind of the city perspective on this. You're listening to London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Our world presents us with more than a few challenges. When you are dealing on behalf of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, those challenges get a little bigger. Let's take a look at this heritage distinction for different properties from the city's perspective. If you missed it, we were talking with Jennifer Granger, who's the president of ACO London Region, and she expressed concerns, her group has expressed concerns over the fact that a heritage property like the Cedars, which acted as a boathouse, an athletic club for a long time, but had fallen into disrepair. That was no secret and was vacant. No secret. There was a fire and the Cedars burned down. And ACO London Region is hopeful that that something could be done to help protect some of these properties. Joining us right now is Ward 8 Councillor Paul Hubert. Councillor Hubert, how are things? Uh, Good. When you look at, at a situation where we've got heritage properties, and hey, we're lucky enough, this city's been around for a long time, we've got a lot of heritage-type stuff here. List the challenges, if you could, for us in dealing with these properties and, and trying to ensure that they're okay. Well, let's also remember that the city owns a number of heritage properties as well. Um, and, you know, we often we want to see them come back into adaptive reuse. Uh, one that sat empty for many, many years was the normal school in, in uh, Old South, uh, Wortley Village. Um, we're dealing with the Colburn 
Street uh, building now that was part of uh, South Street of London Health Sciences as well. So anything that we would be asking um, other people to do, we have to do for those buildings as well. So some of the challenges, particularly with the respect to the Cedars, is it was a very isolated location, um, very hidden from uh, Riverside Drive, uh, pretty hidden even from Spink Bank Drive. Many people drove by it and didn't even know that it was there. Uh, it was 100% wood. Uh, the tenant who was in there from 78 through to 2000 and I believe 12 or 13 um, was uh, didn't keep it in good shape himself as a tenant. Um, they actually were running breeding dogs in the basement. It was quite a mess. I have been through the building. Um, so the fact that it was isolated and now had no power, um, no services to it, uh, made that very, very challenging. Um, so we have many other buildings that are not in the city that are not quite as um, challenged as that, but they do take a long time to redevelop. Um, I think of another example is, um, uh, you know, the the McCormick uh, Cookie Factory out on Dundas Street, still waiting for that development to have shovels in the ground, right? Also a designated building. So the designated buildings come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, and um, it, it's challenging to make sure that they um, stay in, in use or in condition that they can be adaptively reused. And as you mentioned, Councillor Hubert, if we're dealing with a, a city-owned building, that might be one thing. If you're dealing with private ownership, how do you even get involved? Well, we do have a vacant uh, property program that we brought in uh, several years ago to try and adjust this, and it requires um, uh, property owners to keep it to a minimum standards. And actually, um, Drulo Properties, uh, they did uh, they were ordered to do that, and the one thing that they fought to the Committee of Adjustment and then won was the fact that one of the requirements was to keep the building heated. And they said, look, there's no power, there's no furnace. That They felt that that was an unreasonable uh, standard uh, to keep it. But keeping it boarded up um, and keeping it uh, having regular surveillance, and I know that they had surveillance cameras on, on that building and they were stolen. I know that the police have uh, issued a number of trespass orders on the Cedars and uh, to no avail. I know that it was broken into repeatedly because I spoke to the Drulo people about this. The challenge is how quickly can you get it back into uh, useful service? Because the longer it sits, um, the worse off it is. And our property standards uh, um, staff, uh, Ors Katolik's uh, property standards staff, have regularly been there and have regularly issued orders. Um, now, fire is the most dramatic of ways in which we lose buildings. Um, but probably equally as dangerous or is the more insidious, you know, leaky roof, um, you know, that's leading to uh, decay of floors and decay of structures and mold 
and all of those sorts of things. So you have to have the roof in order. You have to have the windows boarded up. You have to have the doors up, and you need to ensure the um, security and um, minimum standards of the of the building. But going forward, it becomes a pretty challenging situation, a pretty difficult situation, as you've outlined, for buildings that, that may not be on the beaten path, the buildings that may have already fallen into disrepair. Eventually, we, we wind up in a, a pretty tough spot, don't we? Yeah. And, and I know that, you know, Drulo has said that they were hoping to include it into a future development. Um, they've had the zoning in place for 35 years. Okay. So... Um, and that land is actually zoned, and many people may not be aware of it, the, the table land at the top right on Riverside Drive is actually zoned for high density. So, you know, 75-plus hectare or units per hectare. So it, it could, uh, and that was their hope, is that they would turn the cedars into kind of a clubhouse, if you will, for residents in that um, development. But I'd have to say that the Cedars itself, having gone, gone through it, would require four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars just to bring it back into useful use. Definitely, it was it was a real mess, and that's even before um, you know very recent into its vacancy. Councillor Hubert, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, well, it's, this one's a sad one because it is. It, you know. These are uh, gems, and, and I'm, I'm kind of sounding like I'm not all that positive on saving heritage. Quite the contrary. Uh, I have saved buildings. I've done buildings. Um, and, but uh, it is a very, very challenging area for us to deal with. Have yourself a great weekend. You too. Cheers. That is Councillor Paul Hubert. And it's true. I mean, anybody can say, yeah, uh, let's, let's move on from this. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure that you do as much as you can to preserve historical buildings, but eventually you run into a tough, tough spot. And going forward, it's kind of like the death of movie stars. You know, they used to come up every once in a while. The death of well-known individuals. Those come up more and more, and that's only going to increase. Why? Because we know more and more of them. We have more and more buildings that eventually will have a lot of meaning because we have more and more buildings. And protecting each and every one of them is absolutely impossible. Protecting those that kind of fall by the wayside. How do you notice a building is in disrepair? It falls into disrepair. So once you get to that point, sometimes you're a step or two in the wrong direction. There's one of the other challenges in all of this. We'll see how it unfolds. We will let you know what's coming up in our next hour. We're going to talk with one of the bands that will be on stage tomorrow at Rock the Park. And we're going to meet someone who is four days away from having not spent a single dollar, not earned a single dollar, in an entire year. How would you ever go about doing that? We're going to learn. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Go to the phones quickly with Alan. Alan, what did you want to add? Hey, Mike, one of the best things that London, I think, could do to actually help protection of historical sites is to raise the bar on what qualifies as a historical site. Um, I've never seen a city where where people are, are wanting historical significant categorized on homes that are, like, over 50 years old. Old doesn't mean historically significant. And right now, you, you have the most obscure reasonings to put it on this huge list 
oh, well, Johnny McDonald's second cousin's brother came here for a coffee for five minutes one day. <laughs> That's not worthy of historical significance. So shortlist the list so that the limited resources that are available to preserve history can actually be focused on, on the homes like the Cedars. That, you know, if you walked along Springbank Park, that building caught your eye. It was truly significant. Not these dilapidated buildings that are asbestos-ridden and, and people want to protect them. Well, if that's the case, guess what? Take your money, buy it, and do something with it. Because clearly other people don't want to. That's what it comes down to. You make some excellent points. Yeah, make it tougher to have a historical building, because that would be my fear going forward. Look at how many buildings we have. Everybody's got a, a soft spot in their heart for just yeah. about every part of this city. We're not going to be able to protect it all going into the future. But yeah, find the ones that really do matter. Make a short list of them and go Focus after that. Up. And Alan, I think the best point you have, if you are so interested in protecting something, then find a way to protect it yourself. Exactly. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate hey, it. Hey, thanks for the call. I like that. Next up, we'll talk with Texas King, and we'll meet someone who hasn't spent any money or earned any money in almost an entire calendar year. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. This is going to be a very interesting hour. In about 20 minutes, Amanda Barker is going to walk into this studio. I don't know Amanda. I've never met Amanda. But Amanda has spent the last year not spending any money. She has decided not to live on $20 a day or less. Live on nothing. Spend no money. She apparently has no bank account, no credit cards, does not own a cell phone, and does not stand at a corner asking anyone for money. That's not what she's doing. She's not earning money in any way. So how is she doing this? How does she look? I'm interested to find out. That happens in just over 10 minutes from now. This weekend, Rock the Park continues. Tomorrow is a big show. And it's also an opportunity for you to vote for the mayor of FM 96. Don't forget, all the FM 96 personalities are there. And you can stop by their booth at Harris Park. And you can cast your ballot. They've had attack ads going. This, this is getting heated. But it's not a long campaign, so it will end after tomorrow. But you can actually cast your ballot. So if you're headed to Rock the Park tomorrow, make sure that you do stop by the FM 96 booth and make sure that you fill out a ballot and you vote for the mayor of FM 96. We have a big lineup tomorrow as part of the end of Rock the Park the last night of Rock the Park. And one of those bands just happens to be London's own Texas King. Joining us right now from Texas King happens to be Colin Gray. Colin, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Great. So, you guys have to take us through what it is like to hit the road as much as you do and to work as hard as you do as a band in 2018. What's it been like? Oh, man, it's been crazy. The good crazy, though. The good crazy. <laughs> it's uh, it's the kind of busy we've wanted to be. But, uh, yeah, don't mistake it. It's a, it is a lot of hard work, a lot of long drives, a lot of rushing and waiting. 
but uh, hey, I wouldn't have it any other way. So you guys basically assemble your own tours. When you sit down to do that, how do you go about it? Uh, yeah, well, that used to be correct. Uh, when we released our full-length album with Boomerang on it, uh, the bass player Phil and I booked the uh, Cross Canada tour to promote it. But since then, we've signed on with the booking agent. So we now have somebody pulling some strings for us in the back. Well, that's nice. Yeah. One, one more hour a day to sleep? Or does it translate to that? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say, or uh, rather we just use that time to preoccupy ourselves with other band business. <laughs> Always Let's, keep them busy. We just heard a little bit of Boomerang, and it is a song that has done so well for you. When you guys put that song together, did you know there was a little little something to it that that could take you places? Oh, yeah. Well, listen, we knew there was something in it because... I remember the the day we started writing that song and uh, we started playing that riff. We all just kind of looked at each other like, oh, yeah, all right, something's happening. (laughs) But we we had no idea that it would take us uh, where it's taken us so far. Uh, We're really proud of that. Well, let's go back to maybe the first time you tried that out in a in a concert. What is it like to know that, hey, you guys have played this song, you guys like this song, and now you want to send it out there for everybody else? What's that moment like? Oh, it's, uh, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, you really got to throw yourself out there. I mean, especially Jordan with the lyrics. Jordan writes all the lyrics in the band. And, uh, yeah, you really got to put yourself out there and just... Uh, really go on faith that people will pick up what you're putting down and enjoy what you're putting out to the to the world and yeah it's uh it's terrifying when you're about to do it but the payoff is great Colin Gray with us from Texas King on the stage tomorrow as part of Rock the Park 2018 Colin let's learn a little bit more about the formation of this band how long have you guys known each other uh, well, we all met actually at Fanshawe. Um, Jordan and I started hanging out, and then uh, we got our two friends, Phil and Rob, to play drums uh, drums and bass with us. And uh, it's been a slow ride since. We've uh, changed drummers since. And, uh, yeah, we've just spent years touring, doing East Coast tours, touring all across uh, Ontario, playing festivals and conferences all over. Um yeah, it's it's been a slow process, but uh, I think that's kind of the way to build a nice hearty band. Uh, you know, we I feel like we've earned every one of our fans. You know, we didn't just put something out and have it catch fire. We went out and uh, fought for those fans. <laughs> so when you start putting something together, was it just a conversation between you guys? Hey, you know what? I, I play. Hey, you know what? I, yeah, I've always wanted to kind of put a band together. How does that go? Yeah, well, it's funny. Like, we all knew each other played, but... Um, uh it's it's nice i feel like our relationships were a little more organic where you know jordan and i hung out for like six months before we ever even played a tune together so you know there's just a a genuine liking of each other before we started doing this and then uh yeah we're both all four of us are just uh on the same page we all just know exactly what we want to do and uh you couldn't ask for a better group because you know when you're building a band it's really tough to find everyone that's you know, going to put in the same effort. So it's kind of magical that we found each other. <laughs> and you come from London, so you're able to represent your hometown. You get to play in your hometown tomorrow. Is there a little something special to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait. I'm actually from Mount Bridges. Uh, holler to everyone in Mount Bridges listening. <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, all, all of my friends from back home are coming home. Phil, the bass player, he went to Banting, so uh, he's got his whole crew coming out. Uh, and it's just great because, as I mentioned before, we've been cutting our teeth playing all these small clubs for years, and uh, it's just really nice to get an opportunity like this and go up and have a great time tomorrow. In the world that has very quickly become hip-hop, R&B, you guys are still grabbing guitars. You're still you're still on the drums. You you are still churning out music that that you could call rock. Is it okay to call it rock? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we just we're doing what we love. You're absolutely correct. We're we're in a market dominated by other genres of music, but hey, that's all right. There's still some people that want to hear rock music and. Uh, we're here to play for those people. See, and you're proving that rock and roll is definitely not dead. When you were growing up... Alive what, and well. What kind of hooked you? What did you listen to and you went, wow, I love the way that sounds? Oh, man, I went through all sorts of phases growing up. And likewise for the other guys, that's a tough one to answer alone. Uh, you know, I can only really speak on what I listen to, but... Uh, I was really taken aback by rock music when uh, I watched live videos like the Led Zeppelin uh, song remains the same live video at Madison Square Garden or watching Stone Temple Pilots videos. Uh, uh, it was the live element that really got me. Uh, I was grateful enough to have parents that really exposed me to a lot of music growing up, but it was seeing it that really set it off. And that's something that uh, Texas King is all about. Like, you got to come see our live show, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm proud of the music, but the live show, we we lay it all on the table for you. Tomorrow, Rock the Park, we'll have just that, as Texas King is on the bill on the final night. One final thing, and that is, you mentioned other influences. Who did you guys cover as you were getting going, and, and how do you break away from covers into your own stuff? Oh, well, actually, we kind of more started with originals. I mean... Jordan, uh, the front man, he had been playing and writing by himself for years. Like he's a he's a born talent. So when we got together and started writing, we hit he, we hit the ground with originals. But with that being said, we've also dipped our foot into a lot of covers, uh, playing some Bruce Springsteen songs, some Gary Clark Jr. songs. Uh, we've covered the Glorious Sons, who we look up to, and we we hear on FM ninety six all the time. Um, but yeah, we. Uh, we try and incorporate some uh, fun covers in our set when we can, you know? Well, it's great to hear you on FM 96. It is also going to be great to hear you tomorrow night. Colin, all the best. Keep up the hard work because it's already taking you places. Thanks so much for the time. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. We'll see you there. All the best. Bye-bye. That is Colin Gray of Texas King. London's own Texas King. And they are stepping up into bigger and bigger things as every day goes by. And you know what? It does go back to that hard work. Colin mentioned it, but talk to anybody who knows what this band has done and knows what this band does. They'll start with those two words. And that's what has taken them to where they are. Colin Gray of Texas King, part of Rock the Park tomorrow. Don't forget to vote for the mayor of FM 96. Up next, we'll meet somebody. It was gone almost a calendar year, four days shy, without spending a dollar, without spending a cent. And she's here, and without earning a cent either. How has she possibly done it? Amanda Barker is on the way on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood as we head into a weekend, and our next guest may have 
one of the most incredible and fascinating stories out there. She has come into the studio and will be spending some time with us because there, I think there's a lot of stuff to cover here. We have someone with us who has done something that you may not even dream possible. You may not ever even want to attempt this. It's one of those things, you know how you hear, do not try this at home? Well, you could. The thing is, you probably wouldn't. If we go back in time, the founding fathers of capitalism changed our world. Although, you can even go back before them, and gold bullion meant a whole lot, and the barter system meant a whole lot. We've always had something that we've made use of as currency for as long as anybody's history books can take us back. Well, Amanda Barker is living life a little differently. She's doing things away from any of that line of thinking, and it's great to have her here with us. Amanda, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Mike. You are now just a few days away from a big anniversary, and it's one that, uh, well, I'm not sure any of us would even (laughs) attempt. July 17th, Mm -hmm. you are going to celebrate one year of what? No money. One year of no no money. Okay. We've got to elaborate a little bit on that. One year of no money, meaning you have gone one year without earning any money. You've gone one year without needing any money. Great question. So I slowly transitioned, and then a year ago I did, um, yeah, I stopped having a bank account, not earning money, not spending money, not uh, involving money in my daily routine. And you did this by choice. <laughs> totally a free will. <laughs> okay. One year ago, you decide you no longer are going to make use of money. And here we are. We're just days away. Mm-hmm. And we did talk about the fact that Amanda's going to celebrate on July the 17th. That means you've almost gone an entire year without using money. Correct, my friend. Man, like if I get into my wallet here, I, I don't have a ton of money in there, but but I have some money. So in you didn't even bring in a purse. No, no, I don't need any. You you don't yeah you you don't need a wallet. If I was to to offer you a you know a, a nice parting gift here of a you don't need that. So okay, now we're going to be able to get into the the how and the why of this. How do you go a year without? spending money, but I guess even more importantly, why did you decide to do this? Yeah, great questions. Um, I lived the normal life. I had a great career. So what were you doing? I was a program director on a cruise ship. Wow, that's so, a fantastic job. Yeah, great to meet people and explore and uh, just really, it was a lot of pressure also. You know, you have to make everybody happy which can sometimes be difficult. Um, But then I slowly, also when I was volunteering, got uh, introduced to this idea through some books and videos about this guy who had quit money. And I thought it was very curious because I was doing a project on minimalism for these kids in a camp in Belgium. And my mind was blown. Wow, what the heck? And so I read a bit more. I thought about it, tried it little by little, what people had been doing. And so once I got more comfortable, more comfortable, I said, officially, one year ago, to start. 
So you did research it. I mean, you're somebody who has two master's degrees. Yeah. You research very well. <laughs> Apparently. So you, you look into this, you figured out what was it that intrigued you so much about doing this? How long do we have? <laughs> we have as long as yeah. you want. Yeah, I guess a lot of us share these same sentiments of feeling like there's a lot of waste in our society and we feel a lot of pressure to sometimes do things we don't want to do, maybe go to a job we don't want to do. And just for that more aspect of enriching the community, what do I really want to do to contribute to the world? And if I go with less or with no money, maybe I have more time to speak up for the animals, help the community, do community meals and all these type of things that don't make money to do. Yeah, but you would think in order to do anything like that, to help in any way, our society is so dependent on capitalism, is so dependent on currency, you would have to. Over the last year, you have been able to do those things. Yeah, and not only have I survived, but I have thrived. I really feel the most free, the most connected to the people around me. Uh, I've embraced the minimalism of it, and it's been an adventure, hitchhiking all across Canada and America. And If you pictured somebody, because you can't see Amanda right now, actually, <laughs> we'll, I'll post a picture, yeah. and, and we'll, I'll put up a picture on, on Twitter. Amanda and I will take a picture at the end of this interview, because <laughs> I want you to picture what someone who you think has not made use of money might look like, and then... It will be nothing like what you picture. Amanda, let's talk about how you then go about living. So you left your job. Mm -hmm. Where did you decide to start this project? What part of the world? In Belgium. In Belgium. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now you're in London, Ontario, I'll point out. We'll have to find out how <laughs> those two connect together. But what did you do first? So I, working on the ship, I had saved up a little bit, and that's how it started. So I slowly wanted to do more things that I had found interesting, learn about um, food and do yoga and these things. And so I was staying with friends, and I was helping out a little bit, spending help sharing money with them. And then when I read the books about hitchhiking, couch surfing, dumpster diving, which is much more normal in Europe, it's really not so common here. Um, most people haven't heard of it. Um, also eco-villages and helping in the garden. So I was just sort of roaming around, staying with friends, and slowly getting more and more, like cutting out coffee, alcohol, any drugs, like these things that cost money. So it's a transition for sure. Had you been a coffee drinker? Not really, not really, no. Okay, but the odd, the odd alcoholic one, yeah. drink, the yeah. odd coffee, that sort of thing. Yeah. So all that had to go. Mm -hmm. And how long did it take before you, you really didn't miss the opportunity to say, oh, I just, it's so hot out, I'd, I'd love to have a cold drink, or I'd love to, oh, it's so cold, I'd love to get a coffee. Yeah, slowly. And then, yeah, when it's just not possible, when you're not having the money anymore, you just invite your friends to come to a picnic in the park, and they're also so used to spending money, so it's hard to draw them into your world. Because I lived in that world for so long, most of my friends are in that world. And to say, let's go do yoga in the park or a picnic in the park, it's they don't realize the difference between going to a cafe and spending money where I don't go. So, yeah. We have Amanda Barker with us in studio. Amanda has not spent money in almost 365 days. And we're going to get to how she lives in just a moment. So she's mentioned... 
is it couch couchsurfing.com couchsurfing dumpster diving uh we'll figure all of that out in just a minute up next we have Jacqueline LaBelle with news this is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL hey the women's final is due to happen tomorrow at Wimbledon between Serena Williams and Angelique Kerber it's due to start at nine o'clock might not be the only tennis tomorrow Wait a minute, what do you mean? The men's semis go today. They determine the finalists for Sunday. Yeah, about that. Uh, darkness could set in because the first match of the day isn't over yet. John Isner of the United States, Kevin Anderson, the guy who took down Roger Federer from South Africa, they're now tied 23-23 in the fifth set. There's no tiebreaker in the fifth set at Wimbledon. You go until somebody's leading by two. If it has to be 103 to 101, that's what they do. And they're tied 23-23. By the time you have Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic step on the court, it's going to be too late. They may have to finish that match tomorrow. may have to start that match. They may have to finish this match tomorrow. Wild and crazy. I don't want to use the words wild and crazy, Amanda, to describe you, but... Amanda Barker is here in studio with us as she smiles. And we are talking about living an entire calendar year, which Amanda will do on Tuesday, without spending any money, without using any money. No earning, no spending, no money. And Amanda, you had referred to dumpster diving before we went to news. Why don't we go there as we talk about food and eventually shelter how you pull these things off dumpster diving you've got to tell us a little more about what it's like i have an idea of what people are picturing but it's not that gross and a lot of my friends in the system will not eat it but it's expired food or ugly fruits and they're completely packaged so they're not touching anything they're in very clean places and you know the system we throw away 40 50 percent of all the food so in Europe, it's much more common because the dumpsters are smaller, so you can easily just open. I've found whole dumpsters filled with packages of bananas that are still green just because they got a new shipment or whatever. So what dumpsters then do you go to first? A grocery store, a restaurant? What gives you the biggest riches? Yeah, I've never done restaurants, but I have read other people that will go at the end of the day and ask. In Scandinavian countries, in Denmark, it's the law that if a student comes at the end of the day to ask, you must give if you have. Hmm. So they're very, you know, building up the community this way, supporting people. And so I've never done restaurants, but uh, for grocery stores, I'd go to smaller, medium-sized ones, health food stores, things like this. I'm definitely anti-plastic, but it's great for dumpster diving because it's totally contained and you don't have to worry. Have you ever eaten anything that has made you sick? Never. Really? Never. I would think in trying to find food at some point, you'd say, oh, I'm so hungry, and you just eat something, and next thing you know, you're not feeling too well. You've been okay. So what does your diet then consist of? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I don't eat anything from an animal, that's also, I don't have to worry about that. Okay. So it's not rotting or anything like that. So, you know, hummus, it will have the next day's date, and they throw it out. And all these fruits and vegetables, you make a stir fry. Or sometimes I'll go to an event and they'll have lots of leftovers. So I always have my container with me to take home, put in the freezer at my friends. Hmm. 
And so you are able to get all the nutrients you need because sometimes living a vegan lifestyle, would you call it a vegan lifestyle? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes living a vegan lifestyle can be difficult because you've got to make sure you get all of the nutrients that your body needs. You've been able to do this. Yes, sir. You look very healthy. Thank you. I okay. feel healthy. Good. You, you look very healthy. <laughs> Okay, so that that takes care of the food. So there's dumpster diving. Are there any other things that you're able to do in order to eat? Yeah, so for this time of year, for example, in London, Ontario, I can live just by foraging. You have every berry, green, mustard seed, all these things people aren't aware of that are in the coves, that are along the bike path, that are so abundant right now. And we're just not uh, used to, like Saskatoon berries are everywhere. People don't even know what they are. Mustard greens, wild garlic growing everywhere around. See, when we're young, mm-hmm. we might be out with our parents or out with somebody else and we're walking along the pass and there's berries on a tree. And the first thing that a little kid will do is reach up to try and eat one. And the next thing that happens is their caregiver says, do not touch that. Don't eat that. You don't know what that is. It'll make you sick. And we're conditioned not to eat those berries. So how do you know what to eat and what not to? People love saying that to me, too. I bet. They're passing me, and they're like, you're going to get sick. <laughs> if the birds don't eat it, you can't eat it. I'm like, the birds are eating it. And so I've learned. I've met people over the years that know these things. Uh, I will say that I take a few trial and error, eat a berry. If I don't die in three days, then I take a bunch more. So. And as Amanda says, she's never been sick. Amanda Barker in studio with us. Amanda has not spent money in a year, and we're slowly piecing together how she's been able to do this. So dumpster diving, foraging. In the winter, obviously, that becomes more difficult. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been to a point where you are incredibly hungry because you haven't been able to eat? Yeah, I also love fasting. I think it's a great way to develop empathy for people that don't have food. I also think for cleansing and these things, and I thought I would do more of it. I haven't gone a day without food. Also, people share because I have friends and family, so they already have waste in their own fridges. They don't use it all that they're bought at the store. So also with that, so no, I haven't gone hungry. That's not something. Okay. Well, that takes care of food, and that Mm. seems to have worked out. Now let's talk about shelter Mm -hmm. because you could pitch a tent somewhere, but you found your way to London, Ontario, right around January and February. The climate's not so nice here. Where do you stay? So one of the primary things that saved my life hundreds of times over the last few years is Couchsurfing.com. And this for me is the way to the future if we're going to switch to a resource organized world where we see like it's kind of like Airbnb of a profile of who has an extra room or couch and my profile. They can see, you know, I have references and these things and then sharing. So just sharing on a mass scale, organizing the sharing. And, you know, I love to play guitar and cook for them or help in the garden or painting, just contribute in their life. So it's great. People, some people retired, some people like meet travelers. So couchsurfing.com. Yeah, in the winter, you don't really camp. Uh, But I also grew up in the system where I have friends and family that have lots of extra couches and rooms. Okay. So again, you haven't had to spend any night in the cold, in the dark, Not anywhere. in the winter, no. Not in the winter, so that's worked out okay. We are conditioned as we grow up, don't stay in a stranger's house. You don't know <laughs> who this person is. Is there any point in the last year where you have been concerned for your safety? Not with that. <clears throat> More so with the hitchhiking, and my family really hates the hitchhiking, especially when I go alone. So that's, they tell me they just pretend they don't know where I am. They can't even think about it. It's so scary for them. 
Uh, and I invite them to come from my brother. He's really worried. And so I say, come with me. Even we'll just hitchhike to Toronto and you can just see, you know, we go with women, families, have great conversations and people have an idea of hitchhiking that it's scary. And I will admit there's been some funny stories, but I'm alive and well and everything's great. Amanda Barker is with us. Now we've covered off food and shelter. In a moment, we'll have to get Amanda to tell us a hitchhiking story. And then we'll talk about some of the things that she has been able to do in the last year. Almost 365 days. Comes up on July 17th. If you happen to be listening to this in podcast form, maybe Amanda has already celebrated. We'll find out how she's going to celebrate one year as well. Maybe with a goal for another year of not using any money. Amanda Barker in studio with us. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Going an entire year without making use of money. Amanda Barker, who's here in studio with us, is proving that it is a possibility. Just to give you an update... In the tennis world at Wimbledon, Kevin Anderson and John Isner are still going. They started their match earlier today. And Anderson has a 25-24 lead in the fifth set. And if he can win this point, he he has serve. So Isner just lost serve. So if he can win this point, he will win and advance to Sunday's final. Then they'll try and fit in Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. They may not. As I said, Amanda Barker is here in studio with us discussing what it is like to go almost a whole year without spending any money. All right. Well, Amanda, you, you kind of left us wondering just a few minutes ago, wondering about hitchhiking, you first of all mentioned your family doesn't like this. Your friends don't like this. And we have to picture it this way. You didn't come in with a purse. You also didn't come in with a cell phone. You don't have a cell phone. No. That would cost money. Right. Yeah. So how do you then touch base with your family to tell them, hey, you know what? I'm I'm okay. I'm, I made it to this destination. I don't. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I could see that, that that would be a little unnerving for them. Yeah. Uh, can you reach them at any point? Do- so I, my mother passed away when I was young, so I didn't have parents. But I have a brother, and he's pretty just go with the flow. He's not you know, going to check in on me. I have some friends. I'll send a message. I'm here. Or they'll ask, where in the heck in the world are you right now? And I'll just say, okay, I'm in California, or I'm in Vancouver. And then they know, and they just... You can't even send a postcard. Again, that would cost that money. That would cost money. Yeah. yeah. Amanda has gone an entire 365 days, nearly, without spending any money. You did mention that hitchhiking can be a little unnerving. You did mention there have been some stories. What can you share with us? Yeah. So, of course, everything went wonderful, amazing stories. But the great stories are always the ones where something goes wrong. So my friend and I just hitchhiked. Um, It was a male friend. We went down to Vancouver and then we're going down to California. And we were waiting outside Thunder Bay for a long time. Nobody was picking us up. And then this very fresh-faced young, um, it was a brother and sister stopped and they were super chill. We were listening to music and small talk. And then after about a half an hour of driving, the, he, the driver is holding something and starts lighting it. And we both didn't know what it was. And after a few moments and they're talking, he had started smoking crack while he's driving. And we never even saw someone smoking crack before. So we didn't even know like what was happening. And then they had a, a Gatorade bottle and we saw them start to pour hard alcohol into their Gatorade bottle. So we were in the middle of nowhere going like towards Winnipeg or Manitoba. 
And we were just like looking on the road because it's a one straight road. So there wasn't any turns involved. So we were lucky. And we stayed with them for even, I think, another hour or so until we got to something that looked like a gas station 50 years ago. It closed. But we we're like, yeah, this this is where we're stopping. Yep, this is great. This is exactly where we were going. And they were like, are you sure? We're like, yeah, yeah, it's great. Thank you. And they were lovely. They were very kind and fun. They just Smoke used crack. crack and drive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so you did get out of that gas station. Was anybody at the gas station? No, so it was funny. I saw a house and I say to my friend, oh, let's go ask him if we can use a phone to find our couch surfing host. And he's like, Amanda, this is how several horror films start, like just going into a barn to find people to ask for something. And I said, I don't watch horror films, so I'm not uh, scared. And it, and it was funny, our couch surfing host who we had kind of messaged was driving around and saw us with our backpacks and was like amanda (laughs) stopped picked us up brought us to their home we helped them paint the wall they made us a nice vegan dinner it was a beautiful evening how much trade do you do because you mentioned music you you've mentioned helping paint the wall how much of that exists in your life yeah, I've read a lot about nonviolent communication, which is about meeting needs, communicating feelings, and really that enriching other people's lives is life enriching. So I would hope I'm just doing it purely to enrich their life, not thinking they better give me something that was part of the whole goal. So they're already sharing with me because they're open, they're on couch surfing. So I just want to give what I can. Like if they like yoga, we can do a yoga class. Also at the yoga studio in London, I'll just teach a class if they like and... So, uh, yeah, I try to. I don't really think of it as trade or barter. Okay. Amanda, here's a hard question. Oh, yeah. I know what you're going to ask. <laughs> okay, you try and ask. <laughs> what am I going to ask? Amanda, you're a mooch. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to quite phrase it that way, but yeah, but do people ever call you that? All the time. And if they're not saying out loud, I know that they're thinking it. I know that they're thinking, well, you're using my car, you're using my house, you're using other people's food. Uh, it hurts. It makes me feel a bit sad because I really put all my energy into enriching the community. I will go to the community meals where people volunteer to cook for 50 or 100 people, like the arcade down the street. You know, they're cooking for lots of people. Uh, Also, the animals don't have money to stand up for themselves. The environment doesn't have money to protect herself. So I, I really do believe that I'm contributing to the community and enriching life the best that I know how at this point. So all I can do is in my heart feel that I'm really doing the best that I can and I will listen to them and reflect back to them their needs for equality, fairness, respect, mutuality and listen to them why they have these feelings. How did you get to London, Ontario? Yeah, it's a great question because I lived in Belgium about 10 years because I went to university there. And it's really great if your kids want to do a master's degree. It's very cheap there. So Okay, thanks for the tip. Yeah. And, for those of us who spend money. Yeah, for those of those who spend money. You, we all want to spend a bit less, right? <laughs> so for those people, and uh, I have a friend who works for an airline, so she helps me. So that was very nice. Uh, I don't do it very much anymore. And that was just at the beginning of the year that I came back. So I won't really do that. Uh, I would just hitchhike around here. Mm-hmm. But you wound up just coming to London, liking it here? Are you? Are you kind of? Oh no, my brother lives here, oh, and okay. I uh, used to live here for a couple of years when I was younger. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. How many different countries, places do you tend to go to? Are you all over the place yeah. all the time? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And how far in advance do you know where you're going next? 
Uh, bit by bit, like someone will ask me to couch surf or house sit for them. Like they'll okay. ask me to house sit if they're going away, so I'll know that ahead of time. But I would say before I quit money, I did do it very cheap, but a lot more places. Like in Europe, you can go a lot more and also, you know, get a cheap place to India or this and that. So hmm. We're talking with Amanda Barker, who is about to celebrate one year of not spending money. Anything big planned for the celebration? We know you're not renting a hall. Uh, <laughs> No, you're not really buying a bottle of champagne. Any plans? I don't know. You have some suggestions? All of them would involve money. <laughs> I'm, I'm so caught up in, in spending money, and I try not to spend a lot, but no, anything I could think of would probably involve sitting on a patio and ordering something from a menu, <laughs> which again would cost money. Well, we are going to Ottawa this weekend. They have the Nation Rising event, so it's for the animals to stop uh, subsidies to animal agriculture. And that's music and fun, and all my friends are there. And being an animal rights activist, it's great because it is a lot of events with people, potlucks. I I enjoy activism, like speaking up for the animals, sharing awareness about speciesism. I used to eat animals myself. So these are meaningful conversations. I'll go to the campus, do interviews for YouTube channel, give out leaflets, chocktivism. So I enjoy it. There are a lot of people in this world who have said, I'm going to live on 20 bucks a day or I'm going to cut down to this much. I'm going to try it for a year. They do it. They do it as an experiment. Some of them write books and then it's done. I kind of get the feeling you're not finished. Why? What, <laughs> what gives you that feeling? <laughs> <laughs> when the anniversary goes by. You're going to continue life like this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if somehow some money does come into my life, I would share it to support other activists or communal living situations where they support the community also. I mean, the great thing is I have learned a lot over the last year about the Venus Project, uh, resource-organized uh, systems, because we have all the technology, for example, to share, but because we're so into the money system, we focus on building up that and using our technology and abilities for that. But I think when people have the awareness of what's possible, even the richest person would be richer in a resource-organized system because the people around you wouldn't be you know, homeless and you know, mental health problems increase when there's inequality and these things. So I think the awareness that people don't need to be afraid about some type of transitions and everything's possible. So. Hey, it's, it's such a great message. What you've done is incredibly courageous. Amanda, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this story. It's an incredible one. Um, maybe if you're still doing this in another year, we can look at the second anniversary, but it's eye opening and it's incredible that you've been able to do it. And again, as we said, I will tweet out a picture. I want you to picture what someone who hasn't spent money might look like and then take a look at the picture. You can find that at Stubbs 980. Amanda, all the best. Enjoy Ottawa this weekend. Please keep it up. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me here. It was fun. Amanda Barker in studio. I'm hitting the button right now on Twitter. On my phone that has a plan that costs money. We'll take a final break. Amanda will head off to Ottawa and we'll find out whether or not that match is over at Wimbledon and let you know what's coming up for the weekend and on into next week. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.
The Wimbledon semi's over. Kevin Anderson wins the fifth set, 26-24. Probably no time for Nadal Djokovic. Do not miss the World Cup final. Do not miss Rock the Park tomorrow. Vote for the mayor of FM 96. Andrew Graham, thank you for your help today. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.